Hey, Em. Hey, Ness. So what do you think about dry January? Are you doing it? So, no. I'm definitely not going to do it. I mean, like, I'm like fine. I, I think that it's a reasonable and maybe even admirable goal for some. It's already been a lot this year. So I'm just going to keep doing my casual social drinking with my isolation pod. Yeah. I I generally don't like labeling how I'm eating or drinking really. So right. I'm I'm going to stick with that. Whatever I'm feeling. Yeah, that sounds good. Hi, and welcome to Wellness Myths. I'm Emily, joined by my co-host, Vanessa. We're both registered dietitians, and today we're talking about the very hot topic of sober January. Everyone's making New Year's resolutions, and we've seen many people taking the pledge to avoid alcohol for the month of January. Let's get into what that truly means, and if we think it's necessary for a healthy diet. We want to preface this with the fact that we're not discussing those afflicted with addiction, and that's a very serious and separate discussion. We know this can be a sensitive topic for those who experience addiction, so we'll put a little trigger warning here. For anyone who feels like they or someone in their life is struggling with alcohol addiction, you can visit www.alcohol.org for more resources. All right, let's get into it, Vanessa. So whatever your personal decision is, barring any addiction issues, like Emily mentioned, um, we are not here to judge. So both of us do enjoy drinking socially. I love a cold beer after a day of skiing. I enjoy having a cocktail with some friends. But it's really important to know that alcohol is one of the only things that our bodies are truly like, this is an empty calorie, toxic foreign substance, must clear, get this out of me. And we talk about a lot with things that aren't empty calories, like a Snickers bar or something like that, that there is usually something you can use. There's nothing you can use from alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, it's a net loss. Mm -hmm. So I feel similar with that. We definitely both identify as social drinkers. You know, we're not above overindulging from time to time. Vanessa's husband has definitely carried me up the stairs a time or two for a shared college apartment. Um, (laughs) It happens, right? So we're trying to give y'all some resources that will make you feel that you can maybe be a little more mindful about consumption. So I feel like sober January is... For some people, it's kind of viewed as a detox. Obviously, we know we don't need to do that when it comes to food and we don't need to like our liver detoxes for us. So any sign of detox diet or anything isn't going to work. But when we look at drinking, the more the toxicity of alcohol tends to be higher when we're binge drinking. So when we're overloading the liver to where we can't clear the toxin efficiently, that's when we're doing the real damage. That's why there's the current recommendation of one drink for women and two drinks for men. So we're trying to keep things even and enough to where we can continue to clear the toxin. So sometimes I have like a little bit of a pause with sober January because I think, okay, you know, one drink a day every few days or something isn't going to, you're not getting so many health benefits from avoiding that just once. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. And I do wonder also, I'm not sure where Sober January originated. I'm guessing it's just one of those things like another New Year's resolution kind of thing. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, and I know that we mentioned alcohol, you know, it's toxic, our bodies can't use it, but especially with something maybe like red wine, where there are some benefits, um, Mm -hmm. you know, having one glass of red wine might not be a problem. I think kind of like you mentioned, the problem arises is that most people don't just have one glass of red wine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Totally. And I think then you know, at that point, maybe it's good to give yourself a break. So for Sober January, we're continuing to come back to our why, just like how we make food choices, right? We're thinking, are you doing it to experiment with what it would be like to be sober all the time? Is this something that, you know, you're kind of sober curious and maybe this is the gateway for you? And then really thinking about what's going to happen afterwards, right? Like, are you going to just go back to exactly the same ways that you did before, Right. And then what's the point? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like, and you know, if you're just someone that has like a glass of red wine with dinner a few nights a week and you know, you're doing this sober January challenge, it just might not be fully necessary in my eyes anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think that if you're someone who's having multiple drinks every night, you, Mm -hmm. if you, you know, do sober January, you might realize that you feel a lot better and then might want to carry that through the rest of the year. But like you said, if you're having one glass of wine every once in a while, not doing that probably isn't going to affect your life or your health very much. Right. Yeah. It kind of brings me to thinking about mindful drinking. So it's like, you know, you're noticing how you feel. You're asking yourself why you're drinking and getting to the root of that relationship with alcohol I think even those who don't have a problem with drinking, it's always good to just kind of take stock of what positives and negatives are you gaining from it. You know, I think that's really helpful to just check in with because sometimes similar to food, we're just kind of going through the motions and not really thinking like, wait, you know, do I actually want to be doing this or am I just doing this because like all my friends are doing it or something? For Um, sure. And especially in our society, I feel like we're such an alcohol kind of obsessed society we do it to celebrate we do it to go to bed we do it you know when we're just meeting up with our girlfriends and Mm -hmm. it is interesting to think like if I'm meeting up with my friends for a girl's night and having a couple glasses of wine do I actually want those glasses of wine am I just doing it because everyone else is doing it would I feel better if I just had like a mocktail instead for myself I feel like sometimes I would, but sometimes I do just want the red wine. Right, exactly. And I think it's like, you know, you're having that internal conversation and that's what it's all about. Um, And it's important to note too that in our previous episode, especially we talked about how like compensatory behavior where when we avoid certain foods, we want to like binge them more later. Alcohol doesn't work like that. So it's like, just because you're not, you're avoiding it at a certain point doesn't mean like, oh, it's inevitable. Eventually I'm just going to like drink a bunch because I've been depriving myself. That's not related to like whether you like drinking or not. Um, And so another question that I get so often about drinking in general is how do you practice intuitive eating or mindful eating or even just being semi-aware of your choices while eating while impaired by alcohol? And the short answer to that is it's pretty impossible. (laughs) Like, you know, you're impaired. Things are not normal. People struggle just in everyday life to be able to identify 
their food choices and what they really need in that moment. So when we're impaired, it's really hard to do that. And that's why, you know, I mean, I live in Portland, right? So like a lot of my clients are like, I'm smoking marijuana often. And Mm -hmm. how do I like remedy my intuitive eating goals with my substance usage? And the answer to that is like, it's just going to be really hard. So that's just another small note that when you are kind of incapacitated or impaired, it's really tough to be mindful once you're past that point. Yeah, Uh, you have deliberately taken away your introspectiveness at that point. So (laughs) your awareness is not going to be firing at all cylinders. And if it's something that, you know, isn't problematic for you and you know, you end up indulging a certain food or whatever. And it's just being gentle with yourself too. And realizing that like, that's not the time for you to flex your intuitive eating muscle or flex your like mindful eating muscle. Right. Um, And, you know, give, forgive yourself if you maybe indulge or overindulge while you're drinking, because like you said, you're not going to have those same cues as you would uh, sober. Yeah, definitely. And lastly, nothing's wrong with deciding not to drink. It's a really important thing that I notice is that, and it's another parallel with food and body comments, keeping the comments about drinking to a minimum. You don't need to let everyone know, I'm not drinking, and maybe you shouldn't too, and do this with me, et cetera. Or like feeling self-conscious that you decided to drink, and then you're like begging others to do it with you. I think everyone's been there where they're like, oh, get another round with me. You know, you feel like you have to like bring somebody with you. And I think it's a good path to just kind of avoid that similar to what we do with food comments where it's just a really personal issue. And so there's no need to discuss or pressure or judge anybody else for their choice. For sure. And it can be really hard too if you're going out with a group of people and if you're not drinking or you just don't want to drink, uh, getting questioned a lot for it, especially as women in our mid-20s. I know for us, if you don't have a drink and everyone else's, you're definitely pregnant. Um, Or at least among my friends, uh, you're definitely... I, I posted a mocktail on Instagram uh, a few weeks ago. And Emily's first question for me after that was, are you pregnant? Uh, (laughs) So it's definitely common. You kept saying like mocktail, like mocktail, mocktail. And I was like, what? You're just drinking kombucha with stuff in it. Like why? Like it was just so specifically. I know, but it was was fun. It was fun. It sounds fun. And then after that, I was like, I want that recipe too. Well, and it's funny, too, because when you make a mocktail, you're like, wow, this tastes so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I normally adding poison to it? Right. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. So we wanted to discuss a little bit, too, nightcaps. So it's really common for people to have a drink or two to fall asleep because alcohol technically does increase relaxation. It makes you feel kind of drowsy or takes the edge off. But this can kind of lead to a vicious cycle because drinking makes you feel drowsier, but it suppresses your REM sleep. So even though you feel like maybe you fall asleep more quickly or it helps you get to sleep, you're not actually sleeping as well. So it's leading to poorer sleep. And then you're feeling tired during the day And then at night, you know, you're like awake again and you feel like you need this aid again. So it's this vicious cycle that's causing insomnia, causing you to maybe consume more caffeine. 
because you need to stay up during the day and just kind of gets out of control really easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like it's something that we don't really realize since it's so normalized to like get a drink after work or mm-hmm. even like winding down like a little nightcap or something. Um, so I think it's important to think about stuff like that. And I think going back to the sober January thing, you know, if you're having a drink every single night right before you go to sleep, maybe you will notice a big change when you in your quality of sleep when you limit that. Well, for sure. And we know that, you know, sleep affects so much and how important quality sleep is. And so disrupting that pattern and how it can affect a lot of people just drinking more caffeine, which we're also kind of a caffeine obsessed society. Um, right. Maybe those go hand in hand, but increasing that caffeine and you're just you're taking yourself into this terrible cycle of poor sleep and maybe not even realizing it. Yeah, I think there's so many we hear all the time about people who are confused why they're not sleeping well. And then I'm like, wait, what are you drinking at night? Yeah. Um, And so many people are. Yeah, for sure. And even for myself, I a couple months ago cut down on caffeine a lot. And it wasn't necessarily because I was sleeping poorly. It was just because I felt so, even though I was falling asleep at night, I felt so anxious at the end of the day. And Mm. I wasn't even drinking caffeine past, you know, 2 p.m. or into the evening. But still, Mm -hmm. just the amount I was having in the morning was really wiring me. So everybody's a little bit different, too. Um, Some people can handle more caffeine. Some people can't handle much at all. Personally, I realized I really can't handle that much. So I had to cut back a lot. And I have felt so much better since. Yeah. And I feel like that's perfect with Sober January because you had to, like, limit it to realize what it was affecting Like how deeply it was affecting you. So that was like definitely a plus. Yeah. And along with sleep too, uh, when we look at our hormones and how alcohol affects our hormones. So since your liver is going to be on alert once the alcohol enters your body. So those sirens are going off, warning, warning, toxic substance. Your liver is like, okay, we need to get this out of us. We need to clear this. So it's putting that on priority. Your liver is in charge of detoxing your body of a lot of things, including hormones like estrogen. So by, you know, introducing that alcohol, you're doing that instead of detoxing the estrogen. And so you can have a little bit of buildup and estrogen excess can lead to a whole host of issues like PMS, heavy periods, painful periods. And that's a big problem for a lot of people. Yeah. I feel like that's something too, that we never discuss. I think usually when you talk about alcohol use, it's dehydration, or I think people are kind of aware of the sleep issue a little bit. Like, I mean, you wake up after a night out feeling like just awful. Like you barely yeah. slept. Um, I, I had recently put something on my Instagram story about sleep and alcohol and someone messaged me and said, we call those the no sleeps. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and it made me yeah. laugh because um, anyone who has overindulged knows mm-hmm. that feeling of right. uh, the no sleeps. Right. You're just like really taking yourself down at like every level. For sure. <laughs> Interesting. 
So do we want to talk a little bit about how you can drink in a healthy way? Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's the tips that maybe you've heard before, making sure that you have an adequate meal that day before you start drinking. I know for some people it's like, oh, I just want to save up my calories for alcohol. Well, as we mentioned, they're empty calories. So you still need all of your needs to be met before you start drinking. So definitely avoiding any restriction before you start to drink. And plus the alcohol won't hit you so quickly if you've got food in your stomach. And then you can have a little more awareness as to how far you want to indulge. Uh, Maintaining adequate hydration. There's always the one drink of water per drink of alcohol kind of trick that a lot of people use. And it's important to just continue to make sure that you're very fueled and in a good space for it. Because like we said, your body's going to be very busy clearing alcohol from the body. So if you're like, oh, I haven't even had enough protein that day and not enough water, it's just all going to spiral and make your alcohol drinking experience a little bit worse. (laughs) For sure. And in addition to that, you want to do some things to support your liver. So things like leafy greens and cruciferous veggies are going to be really good. You can take vitamin C as well. And I'm not saying this as like, here's some quick tips so you can go out and binge drink. Um, (laughs) This is just things, if you're going to have a couple drinks, things that are going to help your liver uh, detox that alcohol from your body. So Another thing is taking vitamin C. So the reason for that is vitamin C can increase glutathione, which helps your body against acetaldehyde, is, which is what your liver metabolizes the alcohol into. So by taking vitamin C, you help with your glutathione, you help your liver a little bit. And then like M said, of course, you know, the hydration, all of those things as well. Do you know for the vitamin C, is it like a daily thing? Like if you take the vitamin C in the morning that you're going to like, say you have like a wedding to go to or something and you take vitamin C in the morning, will that help in the moment or is it consistent vitamin C intake? So it would be in the moment. So you would want to take mm-hmm. about a thousand milligrams of vitamin C in the morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of like random supplements out there that are for hangovers. I think most of them are pretty much like herbal supplements. Mm, yeah. But I'm curious. I bet a lot of them have vitamin C. Probably. Um, yeah. Another thing that I did not know about, and I found this in a recent study, is that they actually found that social drinkers had a higher dietary intake of niacin, which is vitamin B3 and zinc, had less severe hangovers. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> they studied a lot of different nutrients in this particular study that I was looking at, and those were the mm-hmm. only ones that made any significant difference. And mm-hmm. we can include that study in our notes as well. So I think we're just about wrapped up on all our information we have for you about alcohol and its effects. So after we kind of discussed all that, Vanessa, what do you think about sober January? Should people do it? So I definitely think it could be a good idea if you're just curious about what it could be like to not drink, but you're not really interested in committing to being sober forever. It's a good excuse. Maybe you can do it with some friends. And that way, you know, if you go out, maybe have a couple mocktails together. (laughs) You know all about the mocktails. Oh, I do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I feel pretty similarly. I think also, too, that 
I would just be mindful for the rigidity of like the month, you know, I mean, being an anti-diet dietitian, it always gives me pause and you sort of like monthly challenge about your intake. Yeah. Um, but sober January is a little bit different than that. And I think that, you know, maybe it won't take a whole month for you to understand like drinking makes me feel this way or not the other, but I think it can be used as a great tool to gain a little bit more insight into what's going on with your drinking habits. I definitely um, agree. Well, thank you for joining us today as we continue to dispel wellness myths and dismantle the systems that contribute to them. You can find any resource we discuss linked in our show notes, and we'll see you next Wednesday morning for an inside look into cupping therapy with Danielle Reagy. She is a key figure in the cupping world in Portland, Oregon. If you don't know what cupping is, you'll have to listen to find out. It's my favorite thing personally. Uh, you can find us at wellness.myths on Instagram and Facebook and separately at Emily Ray Wellness and Nutrition for Gals. Bye, Ness. Bye, Emily.